Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. LSU Tigers decide to, I don't know, show everyone how to hit Grand Slams <laughs> as they hit not one but two in a game for the first time since 2014 as they begin their three-game set against the Kentucky Wildcats, the number 12 team in the country, with a 16-6 to mercy rule win that ended in the eighth inning. But... Gavin Dugas got injured. Good morning. Welcome to RP3 and Company. I am your host, the big, bald, and beautiful one, Raymond Parsh III, better known as RP3, joining me, as always, inside the Evco Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette, is the producer extraordinaire, Dawson Iserlow. We're going to be talking a lot of baseball today. Poll question, baseball. All four guest baseball. We'll squeeze in a little basketball talk, not to worry. But this is how we're going to close out the week, talking baseball. And we want to start off with this LSU game. Two grand slams in the same game? (laughs) Like, for real? This is... Absolutely ridiculous what the LSU Tigers can do with their lineup. It's just ridiculous. There's not a hole in it. But in a game where they were up 14-5 to in the seventh inning, Dugas, who has been on an absolute tear for them, laid out for a soft liner and was on the ground in immense pain. A lot of people believe it looks like a separated shoulder. He walked off with a trainer, but it's yet another injury for this team. The lineup, you could argue, is the best in the country. They have maybe one of the top three pitchers in the country as their Friday night or, in this case, Thursday night starter. But, man, they are kind of banged up. And it seems like every week we're dealing with a new guy dealing with an injury. And it's, you know, it's a a lopsided game. It's late. And... If you watched it, you didn't think anything of it. But the way he landed, and you're like, oh, no. And a separated shoulder, you have no idea what that's going to look like. Like, we can, we can, uh, excuse me, we can speculate. 
but we have no idea. What we have no idea how his body's going to recover to it. We have no idea how what the pain is going to be like, how it's going to affect his swing, how it's going to affect his fielding ability. Now, they're the number one ranked team in the country, and they got eight other guys in the lineup that can rake. So they can probably absorb losing Gavin for a little while, but it's yet, that's the thing that's started to pop up about this team in the last month or so. Like every week there's a guy that gets banged up. Yeah, I would encourage people not to speculate, but that's just not what people do, Correct. so they will. That's I not. saw I saw comments last of people like, well, he's probably out for this many weeks, so you figure maybe you get him back before regional weekend, and then you get him back. And I'm like, we don't even know what, like calm down. And, 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 and thankfully, it's Jay Johnson afterwards, he's like, I'm not going to. We, we believe it's a shoulder issue, a, a shoulder injury, but I'm, I'm not going to speculate on, on injuries anymore. I'm paraphrasing, but that's what he said afterwards. They could absorb a loss, but it's just one of those moments where you go, if you're an LSU fan, you go, oh. You know, yeah. now, the last real time they had an opportunity to win the College World Series, an injury derailed that opportunity. And that's when they lost one of their aces right before the championship round. They didn't have them for the championship round, and they lost to Florida. We're not there yet, right? I mean, we're still talking. This is still April 14th. But the season will be wrapped up in a month. And then it will be conference tournament time in Hoover. And then it'll be NCAA regional and super Re- So you just, it's a scary moment if you're a Tiger fan. Because Gavin is also one of your veterans. Hopefully, it's not that severe. That's the negative from last night. The positive, Paul Skeen's really good at pitching, in case you didn't know, in case you haven't had the opportunity to watch him. Yeah, he reached over 100 strikeouts on the season last night. He's at 104. It's April 14th. He has 104 strikeouts, and it's only April 14th. I don't know about you, but apparently I'm choking this morning. I don't know about you, but 104 strikeouts by April 14th, that's pretty good. That's that's pretty good. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. He was dominant. I still, about this team, you worry a little bit about them getting banged up like they do. Just a little bit. But they, they have so much depth. And then, after Paul... You go, okay, what do they have? And the thing about them right now is that 
they're so talented, they have so much depth that it hasn't really mattered, has it? Yeah, now, I mean... They're I, still winning the series. Right. But the concern is, in every one of their SEC series, they have a game where the pitching staff implodes and they give up like seven or eight runs. I, I wouldn't call it... Like, I, I didn't think Skeens was quite as good last night as he's been. And, and I understand the strikeout total was high, but he gave up seven hits, five runs, four of them earned. Mm-hmm. And, like, that's not a cause for concern, again, because of how great he's been. But once he's gotten SEC play, which you expect, like, it's, you know, you're playing the best five of the best 15 to 20 teams in the country so far in SEC play. You're not playing Louisiana Christian. Right. There it is. That is true. I do not think they're in the SEC, last I checked. No, no, they're not. Um, But, you know, it's a little bit – there was a time where I was legitimately feeling like this is, you know, Skeens was going to be a guy. It's, it's six innings. It's no runs every time out. And he's given up some runs as of late. So yes. I, it's not cause for concern. Again, he's still one of the best three or four pitchers in the country, I think, without a doubt. Um, and the good news is you scored a million runs last night. But remember, we talked about the fact that they've been susceptible at times to the Friday night starter. It wasn't an issue last night. Now, I am not quite as locked into Kentucky's baseball roster this year. I don't know if they went ace last night. You know, teams kind of shift that around sometimes for they the didn't. Thursday series. Zach so, Heiss is uh, one and one on the year now. Right. So so you do have to keep that in mind. And, and, and again, it's not a cause for concern. The good news, and you know, there's no good news when an injured when an injury happens, but they couldn't afford they have the opportunity to afford an injury in the lineup. They know they can't afford more injuries in the pitching rotation. So, Correct. There's guys on this roster, to be honest with you, that probably have less than 5-10 at-bats this season that would probably be very good starters elsewhere. So, although Gavin Dugas goes out, I, I don't think you're going to, you know, you might feel that a little bit, um, but there's just so many guys in this lineup. And again, there's guys on this roster that can really hit that don't even play because there's just not only nine positions on the field, you know. Look, they have so many guys, right? I mean, Dylan Cruz last night <clears throat> draws two walks, including being intentionally walked. He wasn't even a factor. He didn't have a hit because Kentucky's like, we're not throwing to you. Like it's, that, That's not happening. No, it's really insane to be walking a guy to get to, to Tommy White. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, that's crazy. And, and I, but I don't blame them. Like, you. What Dylan Cruz has done, I would rather face Tommy White, but it is just crazy to think. And think about Tommy White now, not to say NC State was a bad ball club last year because they were really good, but like he's now got Dylan, like he's the one protecting the best player in the country. Whereas last year, I mean, it was so much on him in that lineup. Like he's got to feel just, I mean, and that, that matters. Like you get pitched differently when you have those guys around you. And I mean, I think that's probably why you're seeing his average numbers have gone up and it's just incredible this game so Thompson hits the grand slam in the first and by the end of the first they're up six nothing (laughs) after Kentucky gets a run in the second they walk in a batter and then Joe Bear hits the grand slam to make it 11 to 1 this game after Beloso hits the three-run jack in the third it is 14 to 1. Right. So Skeens, who did not have the best stuff that he has, I mean, he was still dominant striking out hitters. He struck out 13 last night. 
But he did give up the runs, as you said, Dawson. He's playing with house money. I mean, he, he, he's he been given a 13-run lead to play with. Yeah, so that's another reason not to really be right. So, so he's going to be it. maybe a little bit more aggressive, to, yeah. you know. So he's going to put himself in a situation that maybe typically he wouldn't if it was a tighter game. But there's so many different guys that can hurt you in this lineup. They just do. Will they? It'll be interesting to see. Also, we're projected to have bad weather come through for the weekend. Jay Johnson announced last night after the game that they weren't moving up Saturday's game. They are to for a doubleheader on Friday. They're not going to do that. They're going to try to play it as scheduled. So they'll play their game tonight at Alex Box, game two, and then the rubber match will be held on Saturday as scheduled. As of right now. Right, yeah. And Tulane did opt to change their schedule around, um, just in other Louisiana baseball news. And I can't help but feel that the only reason the weather is an issue is because I have plans to cover the game for the station. And that's just kind of how those things go. So I apologize to the LSU fans. I made it a point, wanted to cover the game. Team's playing well. That brings weather in because that's just how things go with me. So, <laughs> so yes. Yes. So, hopefully you'll have a game to cover tomorrow, D'Lo. We'll see. And just lastly to note, remember the Thursday-Sunday thing. So, they're not going to be able to play that game on Sunday as far as I know. That is correct due to SEC rules, right? Or it may be even NCAA rules. I would have to look that up. I think it's conference. Conference. So if you begin a series on Thursday, you can't play on Sunday. So if, you know, things may change, now maybe they push that game up. I would have to look at the updated forecast because we were supposed to have bad weather tonight, earlier in the week, if you remember, and then that shifted. Now it's supposed to be like 80% chance of rain on Saturday. So... We'll find out. Yeah, it, it actually looks like they might have a chance to get it in at night. Uh, you've got like high 70% chance from, you know, anywhere from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m., but it kind of tails off into the 30s percentage wise in the afternoon and evening. So uh, we'll see. They may just have to delay it and push it back. Yeah, and, and, and you know, ho- uh, for my own personal sake, we're hoping that decision ma- gets made early, but we'll see. <laughs> we will see. If not, someone will be hanging out at walk ons for a few hours to kill some time. So LSU gets the job done, 16-6, to game called in the eighth inning as they clobber number 12-ranked Kentucky. Two grand slams, first time they've done that in a game since 2014, but Gavin Dugas does get banged up in the process. But still, LSU begins their weekend series with a dub. When we return here on RP3 and company, oh, we're just going to keep it moving. We're going to squeeze in a little NFL news. Washington Commanders are finally being sold. Finally. Finally being sold. (laughs) But I'll tell you why Daniel Snyder is still the winner. That's coming up next, right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. 
Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update, presented by Tibbs Trailers here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. The Washington Redskins slash football team slash commanders are being sold. Daniel Snyder is going to be out of the NFL. Sources confirm that Josh Harris has a non-exclusive deal to buy the formerly glorious turned dumpster fire franchise from Daniel Antonio Snyder. Josh Harris leads the group. He, by the way, co-owns teams in the NBA and the NHL. So when you have that type of money, why not go ahead and get you an NFL team? And we'll be buying the team from the Snyders, the embattled Daniel Snyder, who is considered one of the worst owners in professional sports history. For, wait for it, a record $6.05 billion. The non-exclusive deal is fully financed but not signed, meaning another group could still come in and buy the team. And the deal still has to be submitted and approved by league owners. But it appears that the franchise will finally be sold. This breaks the record for previous sales of a franchise set by the Walmart group that bought the Denver Broncos for $4.65 billion last August. Snyder led a group in 1999. You can also track the franchise's decline starting in 1999 since then. For $800 million. Now, D'Lo, you're a smart, intelligent young man. You understand math. You use $5 college words. $800 million. You buy something for $800 million. You, you then sell it for $6 billion. Yeah, even with inflation, I'm thinking that's a pretty nice um, that's a pretty nice profit there. Six billion dollars. So, because we know he didn't invest money into the facilities that he got the taxpayers to buy for, uh, as routinely raw sewage was dumped on fans during games, or nor did he spend money on. The field that ended RG3's career and has wrecked havoc on multiple players. Did spend some money on some some re, some uh, redesigned uniforms that don't make any sense, that have different templates for alternates. And he was notorious for spending money on over-the-heel players. Uh, Bruce Smith, Jason Taylor. Oh, he gave that big, massive contract to Albert. I step on people's heads. Hainsworth. That didn't work out. 
we, we, we can make fun of Danny Boy for how he's managed the team, the terrible decisions of going through coaches and not being patient, hiring the wrong coaches, giving out some of the worst free agent deals in NFL modern history, uh, or being neglectful by continue raising ticket prices yet not doing anything at the facility, and pushing away due to 20-plus years of incompetence, pushing away one of the most loyal and passionate fan bases in NFL history. But he's also a well-documented creep who encouraged sexual harassment in the workplace, uh, was a a notorious cheapskate, and all-around dirtbag. And this all-around dirtbag who other owners have wanted to get rid of, who has lawsuits, multiple, is going to profit roughly $6 billion. And this is why he's the winner here. It, It doesn't matter how many think pieces have been written about Daniel Snyder, about the toxic work environment that he led, that he encouraged over the years, how he treated the franchise like an adult theme park. By the way, he used to own and operate Six Flags. Terrible behavior. And it's rewarded by him not getting generational wealth. This is beyond generational wealth. This is like the wealth of a country. And when it's all said and done, he's going to make $6 billion. And, And this just continues the trend of owners behaving poorly remember jerry richardson similar things there where you had sexual harassment in the workplace not to mention racial slurs used in the workplace by the former carolina panthers owner caused quite the storm didn't it was a PR nightmare. And what happened? Well, Richardson was forced to sell the team for a then NFL record sales price of $2.2 billion. He was fined for the alleged workplace misconduct. He had to pay $2.75 million for that while I was going out the door collecting his check for $2.2 billion. See how this works? Go back even further. Donald Sterling. Remember old Donald? Remember how quality of a guy he was? Another guy that ran his franchise like a dumpster fire. Talking to you, Daniel Snyder. But then sexist, racist behavior caught on tape, remember, by his girlfriend. And they forced him to sell the team as well. Mm-hmm. He was also being sued for 
other things with his real estate business. Forced to sell. He had been banned from the league for life and fined $2.5 million. And then he was able to sell the team for a record amount. The owners always win. This is why things never change. This is why these men continue to get away with what they get away with. Because there's no repercussions. There was no repercussions for Richardson. There was no repercussions for Sterling. There's no repercussions for Daniel Snyder. They act the way they act. They treat... Women and minorities, the way they've treated them, it's accepted. People say, oh, you shouldn't do that. They get a slap on the wrist, and they make billions of dollars. Why would they change? Why would they change? Daniel Snyder, after everything he's done as the man owning the Washington Redskins slash football team slash commanders, why would he ever think that he ever needed to change, that he ever did anything wrong? He just made $6 billion. I tell you guys all the time, owners of franchises care about one thing, making money, and everything else is irrelevant. We got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, we'll take your phone calls if you'd like. Game hotline is open 337 706 0111. And we'll also hear from Will Wade, who announced five transfers to his first class there for the McNeese men's basketball team. That's coming up next right here on the game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company, live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Yeah, excited about the, the initial uh, initial group of five here. We've got another four or five coming in the next couple, you know, next month or so. But excited about this 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 initial group. We've got some good versatility. On the first initial signing class that he has there for the Mid-East men's basketball team, they had a press conference yesterday and announced that they have five players that he's added to his initial signing class. Four transfers from four-year Division I programs while he got another kid from a JUCO in California. The class includes six foot seven forward C.J. Felder from the University of Florida, as well as originally Boston College. Six foot six guard Zach Harvey from UC Santa Barbara, but originally from Cincinnati. Six foot guard Mike Saunders Jr. of Utah. Six foot five guard DJ Richards out of UT San Antonio. And then the six foot three guard Javion Garcia 
from the JUCO ranks. So Will Wade, despite facing a five-game suspension at McNeese, which is coming off, what, a six, seven-win season, has gotten a a Florida transfer, (coughs) a UC Santa Barbara Cincinnati transfer, and a Utah transfer, all to come in to play for the Cowboys. (laughs) The man is very good at what he does. The McNeese Cowboys won 11 games. I think the the fans would like me to chime in and tell you that. My bad. I will get a text from Jim Gazzolo later as well. (laughs) Uh, Felder is the one that only has the one year of eligibility remaining. The others have multiple years. You look at it. Felder last year only averaged 2.3 points and 2.9 rebounds in 15 games. So, played very minimal there at Florida over the last couple years. Before then, he played more at Boston College. Two years there. Garcia, who comes from the JUCO ranks, but began his career at UMass, is going to be bringing in as well, and and the thing that you look at this list of guys, they've all been at multiple stops. Harvey, for example, didn't play at UC Santa Barbara last year. He was there, he just didn't play. But before, he played at Cincinnati. So Wade is adjusted quickly to the transfer portal because that's he's going into the NCAA transfer portal. He's getting kids, and he's getting kids that have made multiple stops. He understands how to do this. He just does. Felder, obviously, is one of the guys that has a wealth of experience coming from the SEC and the ACC, and this is what Wade had to talk, had to say, rather, about the former Florida Gator. And then uh, C.J. Felder, is he in the packet? Uh, C.J. Felder, that's a good last-minute addition there. And we were working late in the night. Uh, but uh, C.J. Felder, somebody, I mean, look, he averaged double digits in the ACC. You know, I mean, you get somebody like that, it's a, it's a, it's a good player. His first year at Florida, you know, when he was with Mike White, I thought, I thought he did some really, really good things. Speaking of Tari, I mean, I remember we played him. He pinned, a, he pinned one of Tari's shots on the backboard. I thought, oh, where'd that come from? But, um, you know, I, I think he's, he's, a, he's a versatile big guy. He can make shots. Uh, he can rebound. Uh, he can score in the post. I mean, he can just do a little bit of everything. Uh, I, I think he's, he's a versatile, versatile, versatile piece for us and somebody that we can play um, all over the court, create mismatches with, and you know he can play play around the rim, and and certainly be able to score around the rim, and he can play on the perimeter as well. But you know he's you know he played high level basketball at a you know in the ACC and in the SEC, and produced you know in both of those both of those circumstances. So I think he's going to be a very very um, you know good player for us. He's going to be look. They still got work to do, and Wade talked about that as as well, that 
they'll still need to get yeah it's great that they got the five guys four from division one one juco guy but they still need to get even more players and he talked about that as well moving forward we still got to add some guys you know i want to add you'd never be too light on shooting we need to add a little bit more shooting a little bit more scoring in the guard in the guard uh, in the guard areas and then we we certainly need to add another you know kind of wing forward kind of a versatile piece that can play a little bit all over and we need another couple big guys um, so we're, we're hard at work on that we've got a couple of visits coming up this weekend and uh, hopefully we'll, we'll we'll be adding to this over the next uh, over the next couple of weeks but my staff's done a great job we're off to a, a, a good start with these guys and, and my staff's been working extremely hard on it and you know we've got to uh, got to close down uh, close down some more guys here in the next couple of weeks you may not like him. You may think he does things dirty. But he knows how to do two things. He's always known how to recruit. And the world we live in now, with the NCAA transfer portal and NIL, it's tailor-made for Will Wade. Like, like it just, just It's tailor-made for those guys. That's what it's tailor-made for. Because... It's going and getting new guys every single year, taking guys from other programs, and you can help facilitate that through NIL now. Will Wade's going to win at McNeese. He's probably going to win pretty big at McNeese. And then he's going to move on and go get another job, probably in the SEC. And you know what he'll do there? He'll win there as well. More to come from Will Wade and the Meanies Cowboys. Let's head out to the hotline. Doc has been patiently waiting. Doc, good morning to you, brother. It's been too long, my friend. I hope you had a great Easter for you and your family. What's on your mind? Uh, it has been a while. Uh, just busy. Um, I got two things. One, <clears throat> you mentioned that the Daniel Snyder deal, when he bought the, uh, the team, it was, it was partially financed. <clears throat> Does any of that contain, in terms of what he sells, would that state that sort of if, you know, these contracts where the, you know, the owners of these groups put up, say, you know, half of it, and then they ask the cities to put up the other part, would that give the cities any repercussions? I'm wondering, or legally, would that call, uh, allow them some? So, not that he's not going to still win, but, you know, uh, maybe if some of that was applied to the cities, maybe there were some silver lining kind of things. And then the, the same thing I, I wanted to say are, different about Will Wade is that we kind of had that discussion a long time ago about Bo Pelini. I don't know if you remember, but when you start looking at some of these guys who are transferring from multiple schools and not really playing, is that really kind of a, a good thing? Because if you kind of look at what happened with Matt McMahon, you know, he had some transfers that hadn't really played at other schools particularly well. And while there may be some uh, potential there, is it really more a coaching issue to get it out of them? Which case, I, I don't, you know, well, it's also, Doc, it's also the level, right? It's it's far more difficult to get guys that maybe aren't playing at other schools and getting them to come to LSU and try to play well there than yeah. the Southland Conference. I mean, and this is not a knock yeah. on the Southland, and I'm not, I'm not saying that to be disparaging, but you can win a lot of games. You can win 20-plus games in the Southland Conference if you have one really good player and a bunch of other kind of okay players. I mean, that, that's yeah. the reality. And so 
Wade's going to do well there because he's going to bring more talent than most teams in the Southland Conference are able to have. So just by talent alone, and he can coach him up. I mean, he did a nice job of developing like Javante Smart and Nas Reed and, and those guys that he had in in Baton Rouge. So I, I think it's different. You know, if this was him trying to do this to say like Ole Miss, then I, I don't think it's much of a slam dunk because yeah. it's a different level, right? It's just a different level. Okay. Man, that makes sense. All right. Well, that was it. I was just kind of curious about the then the whole Daniel Snyder thing. It is pretty frustrating, but uh, that is like we've talked about multiple times. You know, it's not about the right thing. It's all about the no, dollars. So. It's all about the dollars, and I'll elaborate further on that, brother. Thank you for the phone call, Doc. All right, Ray, y'all have a good one. I don't know the exact specifics. I do know Daniel – when he originally bought the team, they were in a different facility. He was able to get taxpayers to foot the bill. Now, a lot of times how that works is that the owner or ownership group, and I, over the years, Snyder also bought out other per, other people in the ownership group, which happens a lot of times. right? We always hear about these groups that come in and buy a franchise. And well, what happens after a couple years is that one of the other people wants to have more power, so they buy out the other parties to have a majority stake in, in the team. That happens all the time. In many cases, then they become the sole owner. I don't believe that these cities and these municipalities, when they agree to do these things, I, I'm always stunned that they put it and they foot the bill and the taxpayer foots the bill and the owner, <laughs> there's no repercussions. They put up maybe half the money in the city or the state puts up the rest. And then if they decide to leave or sell the team, then it doesn't matter, right? Because the owner, the, the municipality and the community is not buying the team. They're simply helping pay for the facility the team plays in. So that's how they kind of get around that. It's amazing how that works. And that's always stunning to me that people are like, oh, yeah, yeah. If we don't, if we don't get a new stadium, we're leaving. Like the Tennessee Titans are talking about building a new stadium. Why? Your stadium's not that old. You don't need a new one. Just make some improvements. Got the Superdome. They're making improvements to the Superdome. The Superdome is older than me. Still is a perfect venue for Super Bowls, Final Fours, National Championship Games, and the Saints. Just saying. Good phone call there from Doc. We got to take a timeout. When we come back, we'll unveil the poll question of the day, and Dawson's going to tease an idea that he has. That's next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 is the epitome of a high roller, constantly making large bets. But by doing that, the minimum bet is a dollar for a win, a dollar for a place, a dollar for a show. So it's essentially a $3 bet. That netted me a cool $6.70. What? 
Okay, so he's not a risk taker. He's your best bet for sports talk. 19. Hit me. 20. Hit me. 21. Hit me. 22. Now back to more RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to RP3 and Company. Poll question of the day is an original by yours truly. Authentic. Yeah, I'm going to ask you, should the MLB create some sort of end-season tournament similar to what the NBA has done? Uh, It needs explanation. I wanted to get the people going with the thought process and the the questions being asked, and you all fell into my trap, so that's perfect. (laughs) Um, First of all, I want to make a clarification. I'm not referring to the play-in tournament that's taking place right now. That has nothing to do at all with what I'm discussing. Um, I'm talking about an in-season tournament that the NBA has not done yet but has approved for the time being to to move forward with in the future. I don't know if it's going to take place next year, but it's something that they're going to do eventually. Correct. So, Major League Baseball, in my opinion, has an opportunity to do this but do it better um, because, A, I think baseball lends itself to tournament play more so than really any sport. Um, and B, baseball has 162 games, and in my opinion, I know diehard baseball, like diehard Major League Baseball fans, I'll change that because I think I'm a diehard baseball fan. I don't think I'm a diehard Major League Baseball fan. Um, anyway, there are some stretches of the season that are fairly boring, in my opinion. Um, when you get into the middle of the summer and division races aren't heating up yet and the you know newness of coming back from the offseason has worn off, And I think this is a perfect opportunity. Now, I have some specific ideas for how we're going to make this tournament. I've seen your concerns. We're not going to play more than 162 games, so don't worry. That's not affected. I've thought of that. D-Lo has you covered. Yes. We're not going to change, and we're not going to fundamentally rewrite the books of how games are scored and, you know, have guys hitting, you know, affecting season-long records, things like that. We're all, we have, we've thought of all of it. And I'm going to lay that out for you coming up in the second hour. So stay tuned for that. And yes, overall, I think, look, the other thing to think about here is that something like this probably is coming because, again, when these organizations see opportunities to make money, that's what they're going to do uh, or that's what they're going to attempt to do. The NBA's format, which, you know, I might kind of I'll explain some of their rules when I when I discuss the plan. I don't love everything they're doing with it, but I do think they're on to something here. I think they have some good ideas. So that will be coming up. And um there I think it's go. going to be a good thing for baseball. We're, we're trying to move the game forward here on RP3 and company. And D'Lo has a great idea. So should the Major League Baseball create some sort of in-season tournament similar to what the NBA has done? Yes, more competition. No, too much change. Maybe tell me more. I don't like fun things. Those are your options. Go vote. Leave your comments. There's always been, already has been a flurry of activity and we'll continue to share those throughout today's show. Hour one in the books. Hour number two. We'll kick it off with James Yasko of the Lima Time Time podcast. Talking Astros. That's next right here on The Game. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything. Everything. Everything gonna be alright this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. 
Hour number two has arrived on this Friday edition of RP3 and Company. We are broadcasting live from inside the Evco Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette. We told you it was going to be baseball show. We let off talking about the LSU baseball team crushing Kentucky with two grand slams. Did have Gavin Dugas, though, get injured in the game. Game two of that series between the number one ranked team in the country and the number 12 ranked team in the country will be tonight. And, of course, you'll be able to hear it right here on the game. We also have an interesting poll question of the day from the brain of the producer extraordinaire who joins me in the studios, Dawson Iserlow. Should Major League Baseball create some sort of in-season tournament similar to what the NBA is planning on doing in the next few years? And he'll make his pitch about that coming up this hour. Also later on this hour, Opelousas Catholic head baseball coach Justin Boyd will be joining us half an hour from right now. Then after that, Cass Hargis, the St. Thomas More baseball coach, will be joining us in hour number three. And then author Mark Halvin, Tales from the Dead Ball Era author, will be joining us as well. It's a baseball-heavy Friday edition and to lead it off with our guest is the man from the Lima Time Time podcast, a contributor for the Houston Chronicle, and a man who, believe it or not, was employed willingly by the Baseball Hall of Fame. Now he is a molder of young minds and huh, a playoff soccer coach, James Yasko. James, good morning. Good morning. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing. I'm doing great. Yes, very, very professional. Yes. Good morning. Yes. How are you? How are you? I've, yes, yes. I've been throwing up since one o'clock this morning. So, uh, so dude, yeah, the, the, dude. great. Not optimal. No, it's not. Not not an ideal Friday. <laughs> no. Well, I'm going to try to make it as ideal for you as possible, bud. The Astros. Everyone was freaking out. Oh my God, what's wrong with Houston? Oh my God, what's wrong? They win their first series. This week, beat the Pirates, and now they're hovering one game under 500, just like they did last year and just like they did the year before at this time, and we know what happened in both of those years. What do you make of what you're seeing from your Houston Astros, bud? Uh, it's, we are, we're approximately 9% through the regular season. Uh, everyone needs to chill out. It's, it's um you know, it, 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 it's the Pirates series looked better. Uh, there are some positives. There are also some question marks. But I mean, still, like, it's not even – It's. It, I mean, we're it, – it's tax extension filing day. What are we doing? What what let's, let's not freak out. <laughs> how surprised have you been by how well Chaz McCormick has adjusted to being the team's leadoff hitter? Uh, the, the, being a leadoff hitter – um, I think there's a there's a different mindset, and I don't think you can just put anybody in the leadoff spot and expect that to work out. Uh, see Pena, comma Jeremy, um, and so you know, I, I it's 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 been a, a welcome surprise, you know, as we sort of wait for Altuve to come back from uh, from a fractured thumb, and and so you know, I, I think it was I think it was smart of Dusty to kind of shuffle things around, um, you know, and, and we say don't freak out, you know. Tenants aren't aren't one in April, uh, but but you can you can sure put yourself behind the eight ball uh, in April. So you know there's no panic. 
I, I don't know that Dusty has a panic bone in his body, but but I, I do uh, you know applaud the willingness to to kind of shovel things up and, and see what works. And McCormick in that leadoff spot's working right now. He is working, and Altuve's going to be out you know for another month, and you you don't know even if he's going to be able to come back then, right? I mean, we're hopeful he'll be back in a month, but he'll eventually be back. Yeah, with the way McCormick has performed, I know it's early, but let's say he keeps this up. Do you, how do you adjust with bringing Brantley back into the lineup and then Altuve back in the line? Obviously, Altuve and Brantley are far better players, but do you just shove McCormick back to the bottom of the lineup again? I mean, so I guess that's my bigger question because he's been such a pleasant surprise. If he keeps this up, what do you do with your lineup? I think you, I, I, if if I was uh, Dusty Baker, which would make me infinitely cooler than I actually am, um, then I I leave McCormick there, and you can you can drop your big bats, you know, one one spot down. I would uh, put Brantley, you know, because he's a contact guy, and you've got Jordan and and Tucker that are that are having a really good first couple of weeks to their season. Uh, put Brantley behind them. And and let him just casually get a hundred RBIs in five months, um, and so no, I think I think you could leave McCormick there and and put Altuve in the two spot and and you know just kind of drop everyone down a spot, put Brantley on the back end, and and you get closer to to having, uh, you know, minimal black holes uh, in your lineup. McCormick has been uh, so good, and they've had other guys step up as well. We know Jeremy Pena has struggled. And, and that's been a, a bit of a surprise. But they've had other guys be able to step up. Dubon has uh, done well when he's had the, the opportunities to, to, uh, to bat. Uh, you had Corey uh, Julks come up big the other day as well. What do you make of all these other kind of pieces that they're utilizing while these guys are out and how they've kind of risen to the occasion? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I mean, there, there's – some some haven't, uh, you know. I, I I don't know that that Hensley has had the start that maybe he envisioned, um, you know. And shout out to Corey Jolks for his first career <clears throat> home run. Um, but I think that's just what you're going to get. Like it's just going to be a different collection of guys until you can start getting your full sort of October ready lineup in place. So I, I think you're just going to kind of see a, a a rotating you know rotating door of of options down there towards the the bottom end of the lineup do you feel like Bregman has started to come out of his funk yeah he's a he's a very notoriously slow starter uh and but had a had a really good series against the pirates so uh it's sort of you know as the as the temperature warms up so does Alex Bregman so uh it's good to see him you know start to put some 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 extra base hits up on the board, you know, in, in April as opposed to waiting until May. So whatever you can get, you know, in the, with the absence of Brantley and, and Altuve, whatever you can get from everybody else is, is just sort of gravy. We're talking with James Yasko, the Lima Time Time podcast, also a contributor for the Houston Chronicle. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. Kyle Tucker is on an absolute tear. Do you believe that the all-star right fielder can keep up this type of pace and be the best hitter on the team. Uh, yeah, 
I mean, he's he's been an sort of an MVP caliber player for for a couple of seasons now. So you know the the what he's doing now. You're not looking at at Kyle Tucker and think where did that come from? Uh, and and the the question with him now is, uh, how can you sustain this over the course of a full season? <clears throat> now I don't know that he's going to have a, a 1,000 OPS. You know, all year he's going to go through. Uh, you know, a little bit of a of a drop off or a regression to the mean or whatever, but but no, I mean this is this is not this is not crazy what we're seeing from it's it's not Tyler White hitting six home runs in his first seven games uh, of the 2016 season. So you know, no, it's it's uh, it's 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 moderately sustainable is how I'd put it. The rotation so far. What's your thoughts on what you've seen so far with with the six man? I think the pitch clock is going to impact Luis Garcia um, more maybe than anybody else, and I think that uh, what Garcia's issue because he's walking guys that you know he didn't necessarily walk in, in prior to this season, but he 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 takes his time on the mound, and so having to kind of speed up. I think that's that's going to be more of an adjustment than than I think than I think maybe we thought. Um, but otherwise, you know, again, you're just you're waiting for McCullers to come back. Um, it, it's been it's been pretty good. So it's 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 actually it was kind of a shame to see the Astros' offense sort of waste uh, a couple of starts there there at the beginning of the season. But but so far, you know, there's not a ton to complain about. Bullpen's a little shaky. Um, from from game to game but again it's april it is april and, and look framer christian jose uh, those guys are, are i think are going to be lights out uh hunter uh, i think is going to be lights out even though i, I do think he's going to go through a lull this season as his first like full season in the big leagues it always happens that way uh the only time it, it really never happened was to fernando venezuela back in 1981 I, i'm dating <laughs> myself there I want to, you brought up the bullpen because they brought everyone back from the World Series title a year ago, and that was going to be a big strength. It has been shaky early on. Presley has looked bad, but it's only April, right? So, and this is baseball, and it's a long season. When should Astro fan start to be concerned about the bullpen then, James? If they're still shaky like this, when at what time of the season should you then be worried? Memorial Day. All right. That that's that's when that's when you kind of start to think, okay, this isn't this isn't working out uh you know, getting getting out of spring training. This isn't uh that Memorial Day is a is a big enough sample size that 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 what you see is what you get by Memorial Day. Um and so I mean like, you know, Presley's good for this. You cuz Presley's like Kind of has the 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 career three ERA in that he'll go, you know, he'll he'll throw nine scoreless innings or eight scoreless innings and then give up a nine spot uh, in you know in the in that in that last. I don't know that the math works out there. I just I just kind of made that up as I as I went. Um, but you know he's he's sort of known for uh, you know having just some duds you know kind of mixed in between brilliance. So uh, in in this case we're seeing the duds here up front and not. After he's put together eight, nine, ten pretty dominant, you know, performances. So I don't know that there's a whole lot to be worried about, but it's it's it might be something to keep an eye on. We'll wrap it up with this division rival time after starting off the season playing 
you know, three straight series against the AL Central and then playing the Pirates, it's Texas Rangers. And they're down without one of their best players now for a considerable amount of time, at least a month, if not more. (laughs) And the AL West is all muddled right now early in the season. Uh, How big of a deal is it to to come out and, you know, get a series win right off the bat against one one of your rivals? Yeah, I mean, you want to win because you're not playing as many games against against your division rivals as you did the last however 20, 30 years. Uh, so, you know, I don't know that the games matter more per se, but but if you want to create some separation between yourself and the and the division, you need to win those division games. So, uh, it's a it's an important it's an important series because you know any. Any series against the Rangers or the Mariners or the Angels this season is is going to be one that kind of pay a little bit more more attention to, um, you know. But if if the Rangers win the series, then oh, oh, okay, you know, there's there's three more series coming, and and again, it's it's April, so let let let's let's not hit panic buttons just yet. Bud, you were worried about not being as cool as Dusty Baker. I got some great news for you, and then this is going to help you feel better for I was the right. day and for the weekend. Sunday's game, if you can make your way to Minute Maid Ballpark, it's going to be Dusty Baker Sunglasses Giveaway Day. So you're welcome. You go to the game. You get some of Dusty's replica shades. You're going to be just as cool as the Astros skipper. And now your weekend's complete. You're welcome. Yeah, that's that's the only thing keeping me from being as cool as Dusty Baker is sunglasses. <laughs> Buddy, I appreciate the time. Get to feeling better, man. Rest up this weekend. Hey, y'all have a good weekend. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 is known across Acadiana as a master of the English language. You look at all the guys that they got. Clinton Anukoraru, oof, and I don't know how to pronounce this young man's name. TJ Falola. More like a master of broken English, that is. They also added an inside linebacker, Casey Wasawi. These names are killing me, man. I even practiced last night. Me fail English? That's impossible. Now back to that silky smooth delivery of RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Poll question of the day. Should the Major League Baseball create some sort of in-season tournament similar to what the NBA has proposed? Right now, 44% of you say no, too much change. 26% say maybe, tell me more. 19% say yes, more competition. 11% say I don't like fun things. Uh, uh, Ralph says no, but what's with the I don't like fun things? It appeared in the UL mascot poll as well. I don't like I don't, I don't like fun things option. <laughs> well, the origins of that is I think a lot of you don't like fun things, so I keep giving you a chance to let us know who you are. Now, many of you, Brody, I think 162 games in 187 days is enough baseball. Brett says they don't play enough games already. Question, Steve, 162 isn't enough. I love baseball, but after a marathon season, expanded playoff, do you really think the players can handle any more baseball? Guys, you've already misunderstood the poll question. 
It's not adding more games. It's taking games away and using games as an in-season tournament. Right. We're not adding games here. We're changing the significance of the games. And so so here's let me let me just go ahead and, and lay the foundation. All great ideas started with an original pitch, right? And then I'll take your criticisms and we'll make it better from there. Um Major League Baseball's great. And look, I'm I'm pretty locked in right now because the season just started. I'm kind of back in full swing baseball mode. Crossover season in college athletics has come to a close. Um, you know, the NBA playoffs are going on, but the Pelicans are nowhere to be found, so I'm a little less invested. So I'm in baseball mode right now. And look, when it comes time for October, although I do struggle to get fully, fully locked in at times because football comes back, and I'm so invested in football, but I do, of course, it's playoff baseball. It's the best thing there is. So the middle of the season has some lulls for me, and I think for a long time, the All-Star game and the festivities around that were kind of a, a nice little refresher for people. People really liked it. I think that's struggled to keep its significance. And, you know, in baseball, it's been a little better, certainly, than basketball and football because you can still have players give tremendous effort in one baseball game as opposed to what, you know, the All-Star games and other sports have kind of fallen apart into. But I saw this idea that the NBA is, is you know, throwing around. And while I have been a heavy proponent against the play-in tournament at the end of the NBA season, because I think it messes with the sanctity and the outcomes of the season, like adding teams into the postseason mix that, in my opinion, aren't deserving, this in-season tournament is going to have no bearings on the postseason at all, at least directly. So the idea for me here is taking what I think is is great. Tournament baseball. It's it's something, look, I grew up playing travel ball. You're playing basically every weekend is new tournaments. It's brackets. It's double elimination, single elimination, whatever it is. You're playing tournament-style baseball. In, in high school baseball, we end our season with a playoff bracket and a tournament. Sometimes there's best of three series involved. Sometimes we just play single elimination. In college baseball, we play tournaments. We go to the end of the season, and we start with a conference tournament. Then we go to a regional tournament. Then we go to a more traditional, super regional, kind of best of three series. And then we go back to a tournament format for the College World Series to decide it all. The World Baseball Classic, that was a lot of fun last month. That was tournament-style baseball. So we're going to take that, and we're going to essentially convert some of our middle-of-the-pack regular season games into tournament-style baseball games. So the way we're going to do that is, is we're going to use a little bit of, we're going to borrow the college baseball regional model. Now, right now, there's 30 MLB teams, so the numbers would get maybe a little bit muddy, but expansion seems like it's on the horizon in a hurry. And the NBA's model, if you saw what they're doing with their in-season tournament, kind of lends itself to the fact that they know expansion's coming as well, and this format's going to actually fit in place a lot better when there's 32 teams. But for now, if there's only 16, that's fine. You can just basically have quote-unquote, pool play games that qualify you for the end-season tournament, which is what the NBA is doing, by the way. So those games would be regular, regular season games. You would just have uh, a little, you know, something that acknowledges, hey, this is a pool play game for the end-season tournament. So this game is going to help determine who makes it. Once you have your 16 teams that are in, the other 14 teams in the league, guess what? They're not going anywhere. They're just going to continue playing regular season games as they would have. But what we're going to do is take these other regular season games and convert them. We're going to divide them into four-team brackets, like the regionals do in college baseball. And I would prefer to play double elimination games. If you want to play single elimination, then you can keep your 162 games. You know, holy grail, we can't mess with records, we have to play 162. And if you want to keep that, then do it single elimination. 
put these teams in pods. They'll play single elimination throughout. Guess what? When a team gets eliminated, that's fine. They go back to playing regular season games against another team that was eliminated at the same point that they were. How many games we're talking about here? If we're going double elimination, we're talking anywhere from four to six games. I would prefer single elimination. That's fine. Now, can I can I get through and then we can oh, come circle back? I just my I apologies. All good. I just don't want to the lose low. the train of thought here. Okay. So what you're going to do is play in in if in in my format that was double elimination. You're going to play it like a regional. One's going to play four in these pods. The winners move on. Two plays three. The losers move on. And once you lose two games and you're out. Oh, that's fine. You're just going to finish playing the same number of games that the teams that are still in are by playing another four seed that already lost out of their tournament. So you're going to match those teams up. Everyone's playing the same number of games. Now, if you're doing double elimination and a team happens not to lose twice, the team that wins the whole tournament never loses, they'll play one or two less games in the end. That's never happened before. That would be horrible. We can't have that. Oh, it happened two years ago in 2021 when games were canceled due to COVID. The Braves played 161 games. The world kept spinning. So I don't think that's a big deal. But again, if you want to do it the other way, single elimination, you will have a perfect number of games. And again, when a team gets out, they just match up with another team that's been eliminated. The, the way to get teams to buy into this and to get fans to buy into this, by the way, I would ho- host these tournaments at regional sites. You'll pick an MLB stadium to host four teams. Now as a fan, you're going to get to go see four MLB teams in a weekend, match up with each other, some of them winning and moving on, some of them losing and then getting out. And you'll get to see more than just, oh, I'm going to Houston to see a three-game series against the Angels. You're going to also have incentives for the teams to win. I think a player bonus would be involved with the winning team of the tournament. Specific number, you know, amount of money per player would be involved. And then you could even throw in maybe compensatory draft pick for the winning teams. Now you're giving team... Now think about this, right? You get to this season in June and July, and, you know, unfortunately, the Cincinnati Reds are out of contention as they always are at that point. They have nothing to play for. Well, guess what? Now you have an in-season tournament, and it's baseball. The Reds have a couple of hot weeks. They make a run in this tournament. Maybe they earn themselves a, a compensatory draft pick. Maybe their players earn themselves a bonus. Now they're locked in for those two weeks. So I think overall, you're creating intrigue. And again, you're going to subtract the necessary number of games. Once those teams get out of their pods, by the way, they're obviously going to match up the four pods, semifinals, finals. Those will be winner-take-all games. And that's how you decide your tournament championship. So now I'll address your concerns, Mr. RP3. The scheduling can can make do. I would somehow incorporate this into All-Star Weekend. And that was originally my idea. I wasn't thinking replace the All-Star game. You could still have the All-Star game, but you could also have it be part of All-Star Weekend and your championship game, or you could have your two semifinals on, say, the Thursday. You could have your midseason tournament championship game on the Saturday. And that could bring some juice to the All-Star Weekend. Um, you could even create a mid-season champion. Uh, you're going to have to give some sort of incentive, whether it's comp picks, bonuses, like you've already talked about. I think that is smart uh, to get some interest. And maybe this also keeps teams inclined from tanking and keeps them inclined to give us competitive baseball longer. I like the idea. It's immensely ambitious. And you could probably pull it off. Now, the scheduling of it, though, is is the problem because you're going to have to put something in place to ensure that everyone gets the 162. And, and the reason why that is is because 
let's say you're good enough to be in the tournament. What happens when you're eliminated? Then you're going to be playing less games, and that could could play a role. But if you're eliminated, the the teams that move on to, say, the semifinals and the championship game are going to have more games than you are. No, so that's, that's, that's been thought of, right? That when you lose out of the tournament, you essentially match up with another team that got eliminated at the same spot that you did, and you play regular season games against them to match up what the teams in the tournament are still playing. And that math is going to be done beforehand. Okay. So look, if you go two and done, then you have, let's say, three games that you didn't play. You now play a three-game series against another team that went two and done to match up for those three games that the teams in the tournament are still playing. What happens, what are you going to do when you're playing against a division rival in the tournament? I don't think there's any issues there. What do you mean? Because that's then that's extra games for against a divisional opponent. Well, are you talking about tiebreaker purposes? Yes, and for who gets division championships. So it's still these games are still going to count towards your regular season record. By the way, overall record, but your overall these record. would not count for divisional purposes. Um, I think they could because kind of like in college baseball, a little where, non-conference opponent. Where yeah. sometimes you play a conference opponent as a non-conference opponent. With the specific thing of it counts to your overall record, but not your conference record. I'm fine with that, but I think since you're playing enough games against division opponents, you just go by win percentage anyway, and and I think you could still count them as division games if you wanted to, and have a couple of here and there, or just you're going to have some people balk about the extra opportunities though. So that's fine. Your easiest way of eliminating that problem would be saying, well, if you if if the Astros have to play the Mariners, it doesn't count. For the, for the for the division, division. tiebreakers, yes, Doesn't that's fair. Count. That's and that's fine. All right, but I think the overall idea, and again, if you went double elim because there's an opportunity potentially where a team just goes through it without ever losing, they would then have played one less game. So that's why the double elimination format lends itself to potentially having 161 instead of 162. But that's why I cited the precedent where teams had canceled yeah. games in 21. Um, but again, yeah, if you go single elim, the only downside to the single elim part of this is that it's a little bit less tournament format. But again, if you're talking about creating a spectacle where a weekend where there's four teams at one host site, the teams that lose are still playing games, right? They're just not counting towards a tournament anymore. So okay. you still have an opportunity, I think, as a fan. One of my favorite things to do is go to, you know, I've been a part of college baseball and softball regionals in which you're seeing four teams play. And it's like a different style of format. So now you're going to see four major league teams in one city in one weekend, and you just get a chance to see that many stars put together on one stage. I think I think it. I would make it part of All Star Weekend. It's a spectacle, and I I think that would greatly improve All Star Weekend. And the last thing I'll say about the All Star Weekend idea that I think also works in with this is that you don't have to rush this tournament in. So let's say you have those regional sites that I'm discussing, and you play those out, and you now have your four champions of the regional sites. That's going to set up your semis and finals. That can happen a month before the All-Star break. And then you just take a pause on it, and then now, okay, here's our teams that are playing, and we do those in the All-Star break. So I think that works. Oh, Tilo with the idea. Now that you have an explanation about the idea behind the poll question of the day, maybe that will help clarify some things. Keep voting on it. Keep leaving your comments about it. we got to take a timeout. When we return, Justin Boyd, Opelousa's Catholic baseball coach, joins us live next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company, live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. 
Oh, man. Me, oh, my crawfish pie. The high school baseball season, the regular season, is wrapping up. Yeah, it snuck up on me, too. <laughs> it just it just did. It'll be wrapped up this weekend or early next week here in the state of Louisiana. And right now, it's time for us to talk to a veteran coach who has one of the best teams in the state, our old friend from Opelousas Catholic, the longtime skipper Justin Boyd, joins us now. Coach, how you doing, brother? Uh, good morning. Doing great. I've uh, been listening to y'all talk about uh, MLB baseball, uh, possible um, play a tournament, so that's, that's been interesting. Well, we, what you think about that, Coach? We're not going to add games. We're just going to try to make some of those mid-season doldrum games a little bit more interesting. What do you think? Um, so I, I guess people that are way smarter than me uh, make those decisions about MLB. I, I, I love MLB. I watch them all the time. Um, so whatever it is, is smarter people, whatever, making the game easier, better for me to watch is, 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 is in my opinion, is great. Um, I think this year, you know, with the faster game times, um, more stolen bases, better batting averages, maybe we should just wait and see how this year goes. I think the fans are going to really enjoy the the shorter games. I know um, because there are long games when you go to them or if if you're trying to watch West Coast games and they're ending at midnight, it's kind of hard to to watch them over here. So I'm curious to see how this year goes for for fan-wise. But I'm good with it. The more games, the more – uh, the more I get to watch. So I, I'd enjoy it. I know that. There it is, brother. There it is. Well, let's talk about something that's been enjoyable to watch, and that's been the play of your Vikings. 20-9 and nine overall on the season. Got three games left. You're scheduled to uh, play uh, Karen Crow and then Ponchachula and Church Point uh, to wrap up the regular season. Your team's won three straight here. Uh, tell us a little bit about your team. Uh, yes, sir. Um we got we got three games left, yes, sir. Um, definitely looking forward to the playoffs, but uh, trying to focus on these three uh, to you know get get us going in the right way going into the playoffs. Um, my my kids have played really well all year. Um, you know we had a tough schedule. We faced a lot of good arms. We've been successful against a lot of them. Some of them you know beat us. Um, so my my kids are really competitive. Um, trying to get them not to look so forward to the to the playoffs to kind of finish this season off where we need to be going on a good run. Um, but hopefully the weather holds off for us, too, to get these last three. We're trying to do senior day on Saturday um, against Ponchatoula, so hopefully we can we can get that one in. If not, we'll, we'll get it on on, uh, on Monday uh, because, you know, my seniors have, have given all they can for, for four years and uh, just kind of want to honor them on, on Saturday, if not on, on Monday. But it's been a good year so far. You know, you're the type of kind of old-school way of thinking – Coach, when it comes to scheduling, I know you like to play in a lot of those early <clears throat> season tournaments. You played at the Cecilia tournament, a Wachita Christian Eunice, Ascension Episcopal tournaments early on. And you got to play Bro Bridge, and you got to play Calvary Baptist, and Turlings, and Jesuit, and Rain, and, you know, Lorville. You got to play a lot of really good competition, including teams from higher classifications. Why is that so important year in, year out to, to do that for your team? Uh, well, we try to face as many good arms as we can and good teams as we can. So when we get to the playoffs, it's you know we we might face somebody as good as the teams we play, but never really facing anybody better than we've played before. So we shouldn't be shocked by anything in the playoffs, and 
we just got to know we got to come to play. We got to be be the best team that day. We don't have to be the best team, you know, overall. We just got to be the best team that day. Um, so that, that's our goal every game is is to play our best that day, regardless if that team is 5A number one or 1A last seed or whatever it is. It really doesn't matter. We're just trying to play our best that day. When did you feel that your team uh, turned a corner? I mean, you had, you've had such a great season, so there hasn't been really a lot of lulls, but – was there a moment in the season, Coach, where you're like, you know what, we may have something special here? Um, I think after the, uh, the, the Jesuit game, um, I think we, we felt that we kind of belonged. Um, the, 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 guy, the kid that I threw um, man, just was really threw well, and everybody started feeling really confident behind him. And then I think that fed into the next pitcher, whoever was throwing, as we felt confident behind him also. We just started believing more. Uh, after beating a really good team, I think it kind of shocked ourselves, to be honest with you, a little bit uh, that we played so well against those guys. Uh, so I think after that game, we, we started playing really well. We're more consistent, I guess, after that game, believing a little bit, having a little more confidence after that game. What was the message to your team before the start of the season, and has that message changed now as you're wrapping up the regular season? Um, so, you know, last year we, we finished number one. Uh, and the power rankings, and, and it didn't go well in the first round. Um, so the message was, you know, we, we just getting in the playoffs, guys, whether it's number one seed, 20 seed, 10, it doesn't matter. We just got to get in and beat whoever we play in. Um, so the goal was really to get in. Our, our goal is always to win the last game. It's never been done at Opposite Catholic. We've never won the state championship. Uh, so our goal every year is, you know, to be different, to be better than, than, than every other team that's ever been there. Uh, and it's still our goal. Uh, we just we just not really worried about power. I know our kids like watching and like like seeing where we are. Um, I pay attention to it a little bit. Don't really, I don't I don't, I don't really care about it anymore because I just I just want to know who we playing and and we got to beat them regardless of whatever seed we are. What do you do with a disappointing loss like that? Because it's easy to dwell on it, and some people may take that as motivation for the off season to get better. But you can also dwell on it for too long, right? And it becomes a hindrance to having success the next season. So how do you kind of ride that line? Oh, yeah, you're right. It definitely is a, it's a tough line. Um, I think I took it pretty hard trying to figure out why that happened. Um, but, you know, now looking at it a year later, it, that team was better than us. You know, they played play better than us for two games. Um, are they a better team than us overall? No, because, you know, the season shows it, but they were better when they needed to be better against us. So, um, which led me to, we just got to be good that, that day, regardless, it doesn't matter what the previous games we did, um, you know, for the regular season, whatever. we just got to be better that day. Uh, so yeah, I did take it hard, but, uh, I guess I learned from it that let's just worry about one game at a time. We're talking with Justin Boyd, Opelousa Catholic head baseball coach, his Vikings 20 and nine on the season. And they're gearing up to wrap up the regular season this weekend and then on Monday, weather permitting, of course. Coach, yes, sir. with everything that's kind of happened with the playoffs and the changes and the formats and all that good stuff, it gets kind of complicated. <laughs> Do you have a good idea of how that works these days? <laughs> uh, well, we definitely were a little shocked that we don't have the three-game series this year um, in Division Four. Um I thought that I know I enjoyed it, but I know the kids did also. Um, so that that we we tried to get it in and it just didn't work out. So hopefully, uh, some coaches, some principals can get together this summer and hopefully get it back for us next year. 
Um, it's just been a, a great experience for, for everybody involved in it the last few years going, doing that series. Um, so, yeah, now we're in a single elimination. We haven't done that in a while um, other than being in the semifinals or finals. Um, so it's really just like a – it's different. You know, all my kids are used to the three-game series, but uh, we're going to have to get it done and know. So dis- disappointing for everybody, but hopefully we'll get it right for next year. Does that change – your preparation for the postseason, does it make you have your guys be more focused? Because before you had the three-game series, so if you dropped a game, it wasn't the end of the world, right? You could always bounce back and win the next game and still have a chance to win the series. Is that changing you and your staff's approach to the postseason? Uh, no, not really. We went through the whole the whole season, um, you know, still pitching a lot of guys, um, you know, still getting a lot of experience from people. Um, so no, I mean, you know, if they, they call me next week and say, well, we're going to play a three game series. We changing it. I, I think we'll still be okay with it. Uh, but one game, you know, it'll still be a little more pressure, but the other team has the same pressure, you know, as, as we do. Uh, so it's really just, you know, who plays best that day. Um, and, you know, hats off to whoever does, but, uh, no, we haven't really changed much other than, um, you know, we, we got, we got our starters that we might throw in game two. will probably be in relief, you know, um, in, in that game instead of you know, just holding on to him for the second game or third game. It's the only difference, I think. Coach, we'll get you out of here with this. For anyone that hasn't had the opportunity to see your team play, when they do go out to yeah. see him maybe this weekend or see him in the postseason, what type of baseball, what caliber of team do you put out there on the field? Um, I think they're, they're a really competitive kid. They work hard. They play hard. Uh, they pull for each other. Uh, they look really good in their uniforms. You know, we got a couple couple of pairs of uniforms that we look good in. Um, and, and overall, they just they 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 really hardworking kids, and they, they they love playing baseball. Coach, appreciate your time as always, brother. Congrats on a good season, and hopefully, you guys will be able to put together a long, long playoff run that'll end with a title, brother. Thank you so much. Best of luck. Yes, sir. Thank you very much. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. There are some hosts that talk like they know everything, but you don't have to worry about our guy, RP3. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. That's because he never knows what he's talking about. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. Back to the show in the know. RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Poll question of the day. Should Major League Baseball create some sort of in-season tournament similar to what the NBA has done? And I I chimed in and say, no, we're not adding games. We're just creating in-season tournaments. I responded to many of our listeners who freaked out that we were trying to say that we need to add more to the 162 games. Todd Dugas, though, chimed in. Whatever D'Lo said, I'm in. Appreciate that comment. That's my favorite one so far for sure. JPK, the OD, says poll question says has done, which is past tense. The only thing the NBA, quote, has done is the playing tournament. I would expect a better written poll question from a quadruple major dude. 
if we're going to get into semantics, <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> create is the verb I used. The NBA has created the format. They may have not implemented it and t- carried it out, but they have created it. So they have done that. That's past tense. All oh, JPK. It's been created. JPK. We what can you- battle in semantics. We can do it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh. Uh, Ralph says, Jose Altuve asked me to cast his vote for him. He's having trouble tweeting with that fractured thumb. Well, this poll question ought to be the fire starter for Foot's Friday Fury. I'd love to know what Kevin's going to think about this idea of yours. Yeah, we. I texted him. I gave him a heads up. He, he's on board to hear me out. So all right. that's all I can ask. There we go. LC... Says, no, they should shorten the season if they want to bring interest. That would have been better than the pitch clock change. Less games mean each one means a little bit more. For the record, uh, just on that topic, I haven't had time to express my feelings. And again, the summer is going to be exciting because we're going to have a lot of time when it's just Major League Baseball to talk about how we feel about things. I have for a very long time said I would be in favor of a 100-game season, but I know they'll never do it. But I, I I personally don't think... A million games really tells you that much more. I think if we played 100, we'd be fine, but I know that they're never going to shorten the season. I think 50 for the NBA would be fine, and 100 for Major League Baseball would be fine. And and the rebuttal is a lot of teams have made pushes to get into the playoffs and win playoff Right, but my argument would be the extra 62 games. if we played 200 games, then other teams would make runs. And if we played 300 games, then other teams would make runs. And that's fine. And I get my the bigger pushback I've gotten is the, you know, the whole sanctity of the regular season records. But I still think, you know, whatever. Sanctity of the records. That's going to do it for our number two. Keep those votes coming on our poll question. Keep those comments coming. We'll kick off our number three with Cass Hargis, the STM baseball coach. That's next right here on The Game. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Oh, the final hour of today's RP3 and Company has arrived, which means it's the final hour of the week. But don't be sad. We got a great poll question of the day for you to vote on. It's uh, inspired by an idea by our guy, producer extraordinaire Dawson Iserlow, about what to do to maybe make the middle of the Major League Baseball season a little bit more interesting, a little bit more intriguing. Go vote on that. Leave your comments. Also, coming up half an hour from right now, Author Mark Halvin will join us. He's got a great book that's now out in paperback, Tales from the Dead Ball Era. It's a fascinating read. If you're a history buff, if you're a baseball guy, you're going to love that. That's coming up as well. But right now, it's time for us to talk a little more high school baseball here on RP3 and Company as the season begins to wind down this weekend and early next week. Teams are preparing for the playoffs. And that's exactly what our next guest is doing. He's in his first season at the helm of the St. Thomas Moore Cougars. He previously served as an assistant coach the last two seasons. Prior to that, he was on Justin Hill's staff with the McNeese Cowboys for a year. He also 
was a head coach at his alma mater, Holy Cross School down in New Orleans. Back in high school, by the way, he was an All-State performer in both football and baseball. He went on to be a four-year starter as an outfielder for the Southeastern Lions. And, you know, he only had a semi-productive career there, finishing as their all-time leader in hits, runs scored, triples, games played, and games started. So I think he had a pretty good run. <laughs> it's our privilege to welcome on to RP3 and Company, the man in charge of the St. Thomas More Cougars baseball program. Cass Hargis joins us now. Coach, good morning to you, brother. How are you? Good morning, Ray. We're doing good. We're doing good. We're actually getting to go uh, practice here in a little bit. Oh, see, so a uh, uh, lifelong baseball guy and a coach, you got to love that. D- do you love? Do you love practice just as much as you love games? Uh, sometimes I think I love it more. Um, I, I just tell our guys, just let me enjoy the practices. I'll let them enjoy the game. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Tell us, uh, tell me a little bit about how do you feel first season at the helm of the STM Cougar uh, program? What have you learned about your team? What have you learned about yourself? Um, we we started off and going into the year, we purposely designed a very tough schedule. Um, early on, we played Sam Houston, we played Sulphur, we played Jesuit, uh, St. Louis, Live Oak. I mean, the, the schedule didn't let up. Uh, so we, we struggled results-wise early on. Um, I, myself and the coaching staff could see that we were getting better as we go. The results just weren't there. Uh, and then the last two or three weeks, we really started – some stuff started to go our way, and we started to play with a whole lot of confidence, and it's been really, really fun to be around our guys these last couple of weeks. You've won 10 straight and 11 of your last 12, Coach. Uh, what was the catalyst uh, for this turning point in the season for your team? Ironically, I think it was a loss. Uh, it, we played Turling the first round of district, and we lost 4-3 to three in 11 innings. In that game – we were we were down three early. We tied it late, and we just I mean we couldn't score an extra inning. They scored one in the eleventh, uh, but in that game you could see the tide starting to turn. Um, although we lost the game, there was some stuff that went our way. The guys competed their butts off all game long, and ever since that moment, um, we started to play really really well. Uh, I think it was two games after that we played North Vermillion, who's a really really good team. Again, we were down 3 nothing. That seemed to be a theme. And uh, we got a big two-out hit to tie the game. And it, it kind of those two games combined have kind of kick-started this run. When you put together this type of run and you're building up the confidence, obviously with your team, you know, how do you maintain that? How do you keep your kids focused when they get to a point where they're defeating every opponent and they're coming back and beating opponents, quality opponents, really great opponents, how do you keep them laser-focused and not get too overconfident? That, that, I think that kind of started at the beginning of the season. Um, we, we did a good job, and our kids did a good job of buying into it, not really worried about what the results say. Let's just focus on what we do, do it really well. If the scoreboard says it's in our favor, great. If it doesn't, we'll just continue to do it well, and at some point it will. And the message hasn't changed. Even though we have been winning the game, um, it, we just focused on us. And it's just, let's go out there every inning and let's just go try to win each inning. If it works out, it works out. If it doesn't, move on and do it the next time. Um, and I think that there's been a sense of calmness and there's been a sense of confidence in that because it wasn't the message hasn't been different because we've started to win. It's always been the same. And our kids, 
uh, it kind of frees them up to go play. And they've played with a ton of confidence. It's really been a joy to watch. Um, but then the other thing it also does is as we're winning, if stuff that's not going our way or there's stuff that maybe we can work on, they're still receptive to that because the message has been the same all year. And that's where we're at right now. You served two years under STM legendary baseball coach Gary Perkins. Uh, what did you learn from Coach during that time? <laughs> a lot. A lot. But I think the biggest takeaway I had from him, uh, that, that was his last two years of coaching. And every day you walked out to the ballpark with him, you swore it was his first. Um, the, the energy that he had, the way that he cared, uh, it, that made a huge impact for me. Uh, obviously, I learned a lot of baseball stuff. But just seeing the way that he approached every single day, how excited he was to be out there, how excited he was to be around the kid, that, that had a huge impact on me. Now, prior to arriving at STM, you served uh, for a season there for Coach Justin Hill at McNeese. Uh, I'll, I'll ask you what's it like uh, coaching with uh, Coach Hill, but I also want to know as a uh, Southeastern Lion legend, um, did you lose any friends by being on the McNeese coaching staff? <laughs> I'll answer that question first. Right. No, I didn't because uh, <laughs> Coach Hill was the pitching coach when I was at Southeastern. So if they were going to defri- uh, defriend me, they were going to do- defriend him. And I don't think anybody was doing that to him. There it is. <laughs> uh, but no, being under him, it was actually the COVID-shortened season, um, which actually looking back on it, I may have learned even more uh, during that time. But being, it was like getting your doctor in coaching. Uh, just the, the day-to-day operation on how to handle yourself, how to handle different issues that pop up throughout the day, um, and then off the field, how to be a family man, how to relate with the kids. So it was uh, it was awesome. Going into work every day with him was awesome. And that's exactly what I thought it would be. He, Like I said, he was on staff when I played at Southeastern for four years, so I knew uh, the kind of man he was, the kind of program he was going to run, and getting to be a part of that was, was really special. How much of a challenge is it to be able to have that work-life balance? Because coaching, it, it doesn't shut off at, you know, after practice, right? There's so much that goes into it that people don't aren't aware of, they don't get to see, that even your players don't get to see. So how much of a challenge is it to be able to find that balance, Coach? Uh, it, it can be. I, I would say that I'm lucky in the regard that my wife um, – she played softball at the highest level. She's a college athlete. She played softball at ULL in Arizona. And so as, as much as I'm at the ballpark, she is there with me. And she gets it. She's also not afraid to let me know when we should have done things differently. Um, <laughs> and a lot, of times, a lot of times she knows what she's talking about. So uh, for, for me Smart personally. Man. Smart man. Yep. Yep. Uh, she's listening too, so I had to say that. Uh, <laughs> a, lot, a lot of times. Uh, when, when I'm there, she's there with us. And it, it's, I, I've been truly lucky in that regard because um, it, it can get tough. And, and it, can, it, it, it does over, can be an overwhelming job. It's a lot of time that gets put into it. Um, it's somebody on your side that, that's in there with you, and I'm blessed to have that. Obviously, you grew up wanting, dreaming of playing baseball, and you got to do it. You were an all-state performer in high school gone to be uh, just a tremendous four-year starter for southeastern Louisiana where you rewrote their record books uh, did you ever think about coaching though and, and when when did that happen for you when did you say you know what I want to be a coach 
I think I've always wanted to be a coach. Um, I can remember my, my dad was a basketball coach, and I can remember getting his little whiteboard and just drawing up plays all the time. I don't think I've ever verbally said I wanted to be a coach. But doing those types of things really interest me. And uh, once I got to college, I, I knew I knew this is exactly what I wanted to do. Uh, the staff that we had at Southeastern was awesome with Coach J.R.T., who's now the athletic director, Coach Matt Riser, who is now the head coach, and Coach Justin Hill, who's at McNeese. The, their, the coaching staff was awesome. Uh, seeing the way that, that we were treated, the way that they did things, uh, how much fun they had doing it, it, it was it was a no-brainer that this is what I wanted to do. We're talking with Cass Hargis. He's the St. Thomas Moore baseball coach. They have won 10 straight games, 11 of 12. They're scheduled to wrap up their regular season um, at Chalmette on Monday, obviously weather permitting because, you know, it's Louisiana <laughs> and it's April. <laughs> so yep. what's going to be the message? And regardless of who the opponent is and, and everything like that, how are you going to be attacking the playoffs, coach, with your team? Are you going to, is it going to be the same message as it's been all season, or are you going to change things up? No, it's going to be the same. And actually, we have a, uh, we're in the middle of our district tournament, and the, the game's not listed on the website because we don't know who it's going to be yet. But Saturday, we're actually playing for the district championship in our tournament format. Um, so we'll have one more before the Shelmet game. But being in our district tournament has kind of let us go through almost like a dry run for the playoffs. But the message is going to be the, the exact same. Uh, we got together with the guys before the game, um, sorry, before the season, and talked about a few goals. And one of them was to make every game the most important game on our schedule. And we, we've really done that. And when we get into the playoffs, that's how it's going to be. So from the, the standpoint of how we're going to approach every game, it's going to be the exact same because we've treated, or, or at least tried to treat every single game up to this point just like a playoff game. So when we get into the playoffs, it's going to be the exact same, and hopefully it keeps working. Coach, we'll wrap it up with this. For those who maybe haven't seen your Cougars play this season, they come out and, and watch you guys play for the postseason. What can they expect to see? They're going to expect to see kids that are going out there. They're going to play really, really hard. We're going to compete really hard, and we're going to fly around. We do uh, – on offense, we, we like to do a lot. We'll hit and run, we'll bunt, we'll steal, we'll double squeeze. We'll do all that stuff offensively. Um, and then on defense, we, we have three really good front-line starting pitchers who just pound the strike zone. And we've got a few guys out of the pen who will come out and do the same. Um, it, I, I think especially the way we're playing right now, it's a lot of fun to watch us play. Sometimes you don't know what you're going to get. That could be good, it could be bad. But it, it's fun, and the kids really enjoy playing with each other. Coach? Appreciate you making the time today, brother. Best of luck this weekend and with the rest of the regular season. Only a few games left. And then, obviously, best of luck to you and your Cougars for the postseason. We'll be in touch, brother. Thank you so much. You got it. Thanks for having me on. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Here on RP3 and Company, we talk about the sports you know and love. Baseball, football, basketball, and soccer. Isn't this great, man? I love soccer. Here we go, Galaxy. Here we go. Okay, maybe not soccer.
but we'll try to do our best. Back to more knowledgeable sports talk with RP3 and company on, on the, the game. game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Less than 10 minutes from right now, Mark Halfin, author of Tales from the Dead Ball Era, will join us as we cap off four baseball guests on this Friday edition of RP3 and Company, and I love it. I could do a whole three-hour show talking nothing but baseball. I could really do it, and I would be happy. I mean, we got close today. We we got – see, the only exception was talking about the commanders being sold. And Daniel Snyder, after being an absolute scumbag, it gets to make like $6 billion. Ooh, what a punishment. He has to give up his team and make $6 billion. We talked about the commanders briefly, and we talked about Will Wade, his first class, including five transfers, four from the Division One level. Everything else has been baseball talk today. And I'm here for it. Speaking of... Big series this weekend, right? LSU, we already know, they're uh, won in uh, grand fashion last night. See what I did there? Because they hit two grand slams. I said grand fashion. See, you're not the only one two degrees that can do things. Yeah, with good words. Word there. <laughs> so they win last night. They're taking on number 12 ranked Kentucky. I think it's a big series for the Cajuns this weekend. At the Teague. And that series begins tonight. We'll see if weather allows it to be played, how it's scheduled, because yet, guess what? Another storm system's coming through the state of Louisiana in the month of April. And even though Troy may not be on the tip of the top, so to speak, with the Cajuns currently in the Sunbelt standings, it's still a big series. And for Matt Deggs' team, getting the series win, which is always the goal, you would like a sweep, but really, as long as you just win the series, that's what's important. I think this is a big series for them, man. I really do. Yeah, it is. And Troy's, look, they're 23-11 and 11 overall. They played, uh, you know, what wouldn't be called a gauntlet in non-conference, but they handled it pretty well. Um, yes. They're 17-5 and five in non-conference games, so... Six and six in Sunbelt play, but again, keep in mind, as you know, Foot and I have kind of been going through this, they've played Southern Miss already. Like there's, you know, there's a lot of caveats to where the Sunbelt standings are through 12 games because a lot of teams have had favorable draws and a lot of teams have had tougher draws. Southern Miss is one of those teams, and you know, Jay Walker told us about this that's played a really tough schedule. So while their record isn't what we maybe expected it to be, they're gonna come around. They've also had some injuries. Right, of course, yeah. as as yeah. most teams have at this point. But look, Troy took two of three on the road against a UCF team in Orlando. Like this is not a you know, this is not a, a team that you're that you're going to take lightly, of course. But also, the Sun Belt's better. There's very few weekends where you don't have to play your best baseball to win the series. Now, and to be honest, though the series that do exist like that, UL's already played. Uh, they've already played a you know a not so great Marshall team and a not so great Arkansas State team. So. You got to show up and play, and I think they will. Look, are they going to have a chance to be an at-large team? It's going to be tough, regardless, just because of where the RPI sits right now. Um, but if you're going to, 
you can't really lose any series the rest of the way. And that starts uh, tonight at the Teak. And they still have series on the docket against Coastal Carolina. That'll be at the Teague and at Southern Miss. So they still have opportunities. And Texas State as well, yes. And Texas State. So Matt Diggs' team still has a, a golden opportunity here. Big series, though. And, and we're getting to the point now in the season where every series really matters. Well, and what I'm paying attention to is this is now the second weekend. We, we got what well, we, we talked about, Blake McGeehee into the rotation. We got to look at what I think could be the final weekend rotation. And that's a good time to have it right now, coming into your stretch run against, you know, look, your biggest three Sunbelt series are going to be down the stretch in it. So this is now week two. Is what we saw flash in the pan, or is that kind of solidify itself? I think we're going to find out a lot this weekend. You know, you expect Jake Hammond to be good tonight. You hope he is. Um, and then you're going to see Blake McGeehee and Jackson Neza, and if they can pitch the way that they did last week and the way that we certainly think they're capable of, I think you're going to have that rotation, you know, written in uh, maybe erasable ink, but erasable, you know, ink the rest of the way, as opposed to having it penciled down, which is what it's been the last few months. You just pencil a guy in, and maybe we have to make changes, right? Correct. Um, you have a chance to solidify it, and, I, and you're hoping to see those three all pitch well once again this weekend. LSU, number one ranked team in the country, taking on number twelve Kentucky. That series continues tonight. You'll be able to listen to it live right here on the game. UL taking on Troy at the Teague. We'll be covering that game. Matt Miguez will be there in attendance. Check out the game recap. Check out the video recap about that. I'll be at softball tonight for Jerry Glasgow's team as they'll be at home. That should be, man, that's going to be a heck of a series as well. And then, of course, the McNeese Cowboys. They're on the road. Three games set against Southeastern Louisiana. Big series for them to keep building momentum. Don't forget the Lions beat the Cowboys in the championship round for the conference tournament a year ago. we got to take a timeout. When we return, Mark Halfin, author of Tales from the Dead Ball Era, next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. The Major League Baseball season is underway and so many things going on this season with the pitch clock, with the bigger bases, and uh, credit Major League Baseball for trying to do things to make the game a little bit more exciting, make it go by a little bit quicker. Of course, in this era of things needing to be quick, 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 easily digestible for the general public, that said, there was a time where Baseball wasn't really concerned about all that. They just dominated the national landscape. And our next guest here in RP3 and Company has written a tremendous book. It's now out in paperback about one of the greatest eras and most discussed historical eras of Major League Baseball. And that is, of course, Tales from the Dead Ball Era, Ty Cobb, Home Run Baker, Shoeless Joe Jackson, and the Wildest Times in Baseball History. It's our privilege to welcome to the show Mark S. Halfin, the author. Mark, good morning to you, brother. How are you? I'm doing well. Good morning to you, sir. Thank you so much for taking the time. And, and let's start here. You know, what was your motivation? What was the genesis of writing this book? And why did you think it was so important to write 
about the dead ball error? Well, first of all, I, I, I was a baseball fanatic as a kid. And, you know, I, I knew the stats. I knew everything. I knew the history. Okay. Um, and, uh, you know, I followed it very carefully. And then I started my career. I just retired as a philosophy professor in New York. Um, so I do a little philosophy. And um, so the things I knew, for example, were, I saw records that I couldn't believe. For example, in the American League, this is 1902-3-4, the Phillies led the league at homers with three. Kai Cobb, in 1909, led the league in homers with nine, and he did not out of the park. And uh, you had pitches like Iron Man Joe McGinnity for the Giants. In 1903, in the month of August, he pitched both ends of three doubleheaders, complete games. How does that happen? <laughs> you know? Um, so, and, and you can begin to understand it just by the name of the era, the dead ball era. The ball was dead. They had this poorly stitched ball. It hit it a couple of times. It would start to unravel. The umpires, in their infinite wisdom, wanted the teams to use one ball. Okay, now I'm doing research and I'm starting to learn things that I never knew. So if the ball was hit into the area where the players were, where, excuse me, where the fans were, you got to go back and get the ball. And in some parks, they arrest you if you didn't get the ball. And I'm reading something, the ball goes over, over a fence, right? What happens? Well, when I was a kid, when the ball went over the fence, we would start to um, stop the game and go go find it. <laughs> well, that's what they did. Um, one last thing, and you could ask some questions. So there's a stat, a common stat in baseball, complete games, right? You pitch the entire game. Last year, the last few years, the pitchers, they had three or four or five complete games. Okay, there's a pitcher um, by the name of, let me see if I could uh, remember, I'm trying to remember his name now, it eludes me for the moment, um, Jack Taylor, right? He pitched 187 consecutive complete games, including an 18-inning game and a 19-inning game. Something was different, and I had to find out why, and that's when I started my research. <laughs> I love that. I love how that just kind of takes you down that path. You know, the dead ball era is also known as kind of rowdyism. That's when it was very prevalent rowdyism. in the game, when clubs would fight each other, where umpires would fight with fans, where umpires would come to fisticuffs with players. The it was just... Was- Kind of like backyard brawl, you know, barroom brawling. Everyone was brawling, opposing teams, the the, the umpire. There's a famous game with Babe Ruth. Babe Ruth, as many may not know, was a great pitcher. He he would have been a Hall of Fame pitcher. So he's on the mound one day, and um, um, it's ball one, ball two, ball three, uh, and he's cursing the umpire, no end. Ball four. He rushes to the plate, punches out the umpire. <laughs> so this is Babe Ruth, but there's not a, a funny irony to the game. They bring in a relief pitcher who gets 
thrust everybody out automatically. The one guy is caught stealing, everyone else is retired. At the time, they credited the relief pitcher with a perfect game, but they, they, they changed that. Uh, Ruth, was, Ruth was a character in, in so many ways, but um, the fighting was incessant. The penalties were few. Um, uh, there was one incident with Ty Cobb. And when I say they're, they're, they're uh, attacking you, they are uh, attacking you, your family, personally, this, that, you know, calling you names, you know, derogatory names for uh, your race, your, your ethnic group. But there was one guy in particular um, who was just, uh, you know, just ripping into Cobb. And he finally had it. And a guy came to game after game. Cobb goes into his stands, beats the crap out of the guy. One of the fans, a famous story, one of the fans yells out, he doesn't have one arm. And Cobb yells back, I don't even care if he has any feet and starts pounding him, you know. And the fan, anyway, you know, it was suspended for a game maybe, you know. I mean, that was, that was not, maybe not even suspended, but it was just given that there would be fighting in the stands, there was betting, nonstop betting, nonstop drinking, and uh, it was a wild place. Nothing, uh, fortunately, nothing like today. I mean, we do have incidents, but uh, it was almost more like a hockey game in some ways. But uh, that, that was one of the distinctive features: the the fighting, the gambling, and um, the drinking. It was it was just ongoing. You know, I'm glad you brought up Cobb because he is probably, for me, one of the top three most fascinating figures in baseball history. And I think a lot of his legend has been highly debated about the type of man he was, the type of player he was. There was the narrative for the longest time that he was one of the meanest, most despicable men to ever play the game. And since then, others have said, well, that's not really the case. That's kind of a fabrication. What did you find out during your research I, 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 about Ty Cobb? I, I didn't see any fabrication. That may have been exaggerated, but there's council incidents, you know, mentioned in the papers. Most of my research wasn't other baseball books. It was reading. I got access to all the early newspapers, the Boston Globe, the L.A. Times, there were, he was a mean guy. He was a mean guy, um, and he he played mean. He'd sit in the dugout sharpening his spikes, as the other players could see. Countless times when he slides into second, spikes are high. So, I I, I you know this baseball. There's still controversies about about Cobb. Uh, you can't question his greatness as a player. But he was he he was a mean guy. In one year, he was it was close to getting another uh, batting championship with, with Nap Lajewi, and the team is rooting for Lajewi. You know, um, so uh, look, I, I I'm, what I'll say is there's no doubt he was a mean guy getting in fights. I also have little doubt that that could be exaggerated, but he was not Mr. Pleasant. Um, uh, <laughs> with, and that includes his team. He was not beloved by his team. Um, but, uh, 
and the fighting that was really virtually no penalty to fighting you know no not back then it was it was as you as you point out it was absolutely a a wild time in baseball. We're talking with author Mark S. Halfen. He is the man behind Tales from the Dead Ball Era, Ty Cobb, Home Run Baker, Shoeless Joe Jackson, and the Wildest Times in Baseball History. It's out now in paperback. I want to ask you about Home Run Baker because uh, for a lot of baseball fans, probably a couple generations, they're not familiar with him as much as they are Ty Cobb and even Shoeless Joe Jackson, which have become mythical figures. Why was it so important for you to focus in and help tell the story of Home Run Baker? First of all, one of the interesting things is he was the dominant home run hitter in the early part of the dead ball era, the very early uh, 1900s. So here's a guy named Home Run Baker. He never hit more. I, I don't have... My book was published 10 years ago, so a couple of the facts are a little blurry. Um, never hit more than 10, 12 homers in a season, you know? You hit nine homers, you hit eight homers, you, you led the league. So just that he was called home run Baker, I mean, you, you look, we have homers in, in, a, in a month. Um, but anyway, so that's why I, I, I focused on, uh, to some extent, you know, home run Baker. Teams hitting three homers in a game. I mean, to me, the, one of the things I just said a few moments ago stands out Ty Cobb led the league in home runs without ever hitting the ball out of the park. <laughs> the, 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 the fields were huge, you know. Um, they were mostly inside the park homers. So you, had, so you had a ball that was unraveling. You can't throw it out. You have to keep using it. The ball is dead. You can't hit it far. This, this, the fences were 500 feet. Nobody could hit it more than 250 feet. So since since the uh, uh, ballparks were small, they put ropes in the outfield. Behind the, out, behind the ropes, you had thousands of fans, you know. Um, so, um, in fact, they, they couldn't even hit it far. Somebody want, there was one story, I know, true, about a player about in the early 1900s. He swung for a home run. The manager's furious, threw him at a game. You don't know baseball. The game, name of the game, they called it inside baseball. It means, you know, you get on base, you know, you sacrifice, you steal. There were tons of one nothing games. Uh, and, and some of them went on and on. There were 18 inning one nothing games. The, it's a little... Side story, uh, getting slightly off the point. The longest game in baseball history was 26 innings. It's in the National League. It was the Dodgers, and I think they were playing the Boston Braves. The game ended 1 1. They say they have to stop. Usually, had darkness was the uh, point at which they had to stop the game. So, what's interesting about that? Both pitches went the distance. <laughs> Today you'd have a lawsuit, you know, 26 innings. So how could they do that? Nobody was throwing fastballs. The ball was dead. They were just lobbing it over the plate and um, and, and and so on. And, uh, and you know, also the rosters were very small. There was no such thing as a relief pitcher, you know. I mean, there were some teams had, had, had early on, maybe if with injuries, had 13, 14 players available, but um, 
It, it was uh, it, it was it was a very very different uh, game, uh, and then it, when did it start to change? When Ruth came on the scene, when he hit, you know, one year he hit like twenty nine homers, breaking every record. No one will ever break it ever again. It was like a monster thing, and then he hit fifties, and then sixty. And then everybody catches on. We want to be like Ruth. So one of the ways the dead ball ever changed is they finally, after a while, instead of using these loosely stitched balls, they got better quality balls, you know, and uh, eventually they banned spitballs and so on. So uh, so gradually, it's 19, 18, 19, 20, largely because of Ruth, also because of some change in the baseball, the dead ball era came to an end, and there's been nothing like it since. Um, home run baseball, you know? I mean, uh, in many years, Ruth hit more home runs than all the other teams combined. But they weren't even trying. They weren't even trying for home runs. So it was really a, a wild time. Like today, I mean, what upsets me, I'm upset that the game is so long. I mean, and they have, I look at the box score, it's five, six, seven relief pitches. They bring up in a pitcher for an inning or so, or the pitch to a single batter, and the games go on and on. As you know, just this year, they instituted a rule to um, speed up the game, which I, I think is a good idea. But in those days, the games didn't, didn't go long. Now, in the 1919 World Series, the famous 1919 World Series, where the White Sox threw the series to the Reds, every game was under two hours. If a game went over two hours, they'd be uproared by the fans, you know. So uh trying to give you a picture that uh, this was a time like no other. And, you know, we just had these rule changes, but from 1901 to 1910, 15, there were rule changes all all the time, a dozen rule changes and five rule changes and, and so on. And it's right? all so extremely well documented in your book, Tales from the Dead Ball Air, Ty Cobb, Home Run Baker, Shoeless Joe Jackson, The Wildest Times in Baseball History. Mark, appreciate you making the time. I can't wait to finish the book. Thank you so much and enjoy this Major League Baseball season, brother. Okay, my friend. Thank you for inviting me to your show. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 doesn't play around when it comes to his personal life. I got one NFL team, I got one college team, I got one Major League Baseball team. And the big fella's also monogamous when it comes to his sports fandom. That's what I got my merch for, that's who I support, period. Call me old-fashioned. The end. Call me old-fashioned, that's fine. I'll be old-fashioned. RP3 is just committed to providing you with great sports talk here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana. Sports Station. Oh, are you needing to freshen up your bathrooms with a show-stopping cultural marble shower or tub surround? Then look no further than my friends over at Lafayette Marble and Granite. For a limited time this spring, you can get LMG's premier line of inventory price at their classic lines cost. 
That means free upgrades during their April Showers Bring May Flowers campaign. From their new line of grout-free showers, perfect for that growing active teenager of yours, to customizable pet showers, LMG has you covered. Look, this isn't your mama's cultured marble. This is high-end, stylish, and long-lasting marble providing at an affordable price. Visit LMGElite.com today to learn more about all the high-quality products and tremendous services they have to offer. Once again, visit LMGElite.com or stop by their showroom on I-49 North across from Hub City Ford in the Jockey Lot. Whether it's show-stopping marble countertops for your bathrooms or custom shower build, Lafayette Marble and Granite is looking to earn your business, and trust me, earn it, they will. I know it seems we talked earlier about it looks like Major League Baseball is probably going to expand again. It feels like it's going to, right? Nashville is one of the front runners. But let me tell you something. Courtesy of Major League Baseball Cathedrals, Twitter, they shared images of the artist's rendering of what the ballpark would look like in Salt Lake City. Come on now. Like, just the way it looks, I'm like, well, they should get a team. <laughs> it looks really good, man. They got water, part of the, you're going to be able to see the mountains, and then there's going to be water right behind it, right behind the field, and they're going to leave part of the wall open. They'll have a wall for, you know, home runs, but there won't be stands right behind it. It's pretty it's pretty magnificent. So we'll see. It does feel like expansion is coming. feels like Nashville, and it feels like, I think we're going to get two teams at least. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, you got to expand in twos, really. It just makes it way too difficult to go one at a time now with the way that the divisions are structured. But also, yeah, in the NBA, the same thing. I think 32 just makes more sense, just more balanced than 30, and the NFL's been on that train for a long time. Now, the NFL, I'll tell you this, I think the NFL gets to 36 in the next decade. Um, I think they're going to go, they're going to expand as well. Um, I've seen some things with the NFL, like they envision kind of, they have some ideas for 40 teams eventually. Um, I don't hate expansion. Like, I don't have a problem with it because I think you eventually, like, I like rewarding. I like being the champion of a lot of things. Like, if you're the champion of the league and there's 40 teams, I feel like that's a bigger accomplishment than the champion of a league that has less. But, um, you know, look, it's it's going to go that way. They're, they're not going to shrink the leagues, that's for sure, as long as they're making money. And as long as there's more money to be made, we'll continue to expand. Um, Major League Baseball, yeah, there's some opportunities. Now, I think you got to be careful in baseball. Like in the NFL, I think there's a lot of places you could plug and play the NFL, and it's going to work uh, because of how huge it is and how easy it is for the NFL to, you know, from a marketing standpoint. Baseball, I think you got. I think you got to be careful here. You got to pick the right markets, and I think Salt Lake City and Nashville both make some sense. But you better do your homework as far as you know, making sure a, a, a city and a town is going to buy in and support the the franchises. That's the only thing I would say about it. Salt Lake City and Utah, uh, Salt Lake City and Nashville do make a lot of sense because they're sports towns already. And they support their teams there already, right? So, you know, uh, Salt Lake City, they obviously have the NBA franchise, but they also support an MLS franchise and an MLS Developmental League franchise. They also have minor league uh, baseball there as well. Nashville already has minor league baseball on it. It's a big hit, and it's been that, been that way for years. So I think expansion is coming. I want to thank our guest, James Yasko, from the Limited Time Time podcast, Justin Boyd. Opelousa's Catholic baseball coach, Cass Hargis, STM baseball coach, and Mark Halfin, the author of Tales from the Dead Ball Air. Final results of the poll question of the day. Should the Major League Baseball create some sort of in-season tournament similar to what the NBA has proposed? 45% of you say no, too much change. 25% say maybe, tell me more. 
20% say yes, more competition. 10 say I don't like fun things. B-Rad says, and he quotes the imaging that we use on the show, this is the most insanely idiotic thing I've ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. What's next? The September Heisman. No one's saying there's a title involved here. It's just an in-season tournament to build some interest. Y'all just need to simmer down, man. It's Friday. The weekend's here. For the producer extraordinaire, Dawson Eiserlow, I'm Raymond Parch Third. We'll do it all again on Monday, 6 to 9. But until then, be safe out there. Be kind to one another. Kevin Foot and Footnotes is up next right here on The Game.